actually uh, working through 1 Corinthians. We've been working through it for some time. And we're on chapter 7 today. And that is actually about marriage and sex and singleness. And when I saw that come up on the rotor, I was a bit like, Chuck, are you kidding me? I've been married for three weeks and you want me to preach on marriage. However, what I actually feel that the Lord has led me to speak about this morning is singleness. You know, um, it's something that I feel is not spoken about that much from the front. You might find there's seminars about it at a conference, but the people that go to that seminar will only be single. And so it's something that the whole church doesn't always um, hear being spoken about from the front. And when I looked at the stats for City Church, um, if our stats are correct, 59% of our church across the sites are single. So over half of our church are single. And so I think it's actually a really important issue for us to be addressing from the front and it's an issue that is close to my heart so yes I have just got married but um, I was 32 before I started going out with Dave and before that for almost all of my adult life bar about six months or so um, I was single and so it's an issue that I have really wrestled with myself particularly wrestling with the idea of being single and being in ministry Um, so Although I am now married, I do hope that that gives me some kind of credibility uh, in what I'm bringing and, and bringing to share this morning. And also, I take a lot of my inspiration from Jesus and from Paul, who were both single. So if you don't like what they have to say, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Singleness is uh, like a ship sailing around the world. You know, there's this immense joy. There is this freedom, the beautiful horizon that is before us. And the ship seems to move effortlessly through the water. And yet other times, the boat, it seems so small in comparison to the vast ocean. It seems to be that there's like a huge distance between the boat and the nearest port. And sometimes the storms hit with uh, intensity and real force. And sailing the ship can be hard. Sailing conditions can vary and there's no guarantee as to what your journey might look like. So for me, reflecting on my singleness, which remember was very recent, um, on a good day, I could see the eternal perspective. I could see, you know, life is temporary, so it doesn't really matter whether I live it married, whether I live it single. The most important thing is that I live it with Jesus. You know, I could see the benefits of being single. I have freedom in my time, I have freedom with my money, uh, what I want to watch on TV. Um, A few years ago I felt God call me to uh, quit my job, even though there was nothing ahead. For me it was a a bit of a faith adventure and I could do that because there was no one else who was dependent on my income. I had that flexibility. I can decorate my house as a single person in the way I want and I can have a whole bed to myself. I can eat toast and crisps and popcorn in bed and nobody else will be bothered. I, on a good day, would remember the people in the Bible who were single, like Jesus and Paul. And, uh, you know, I would remind myself that being married definitely comes with its own challenges and its own problems. On a bad day, I would feel inferior to people who were in couples. I would feel less loved. I would feel less lovable. I would uh, feel less capable of doing God's work. I would worry that there was something wrong with me. I would worry that I would never get married, that I'd always be single and I would turn into a lonely old mad woman that talked to herself and had 300 cats. You know, I would think it's not fair. I don't get to have a wedding. I don't get to have sex. I don't get to have my own children. And there's no one in my life who looks at me as their number one person. That's not fair. 
Sailing the ship is hard. And so what I want to do today is to look at some of the very practical um, challenges that Christian single people face. Um, and then I want us to look through scripture and see what does God actually say about singleness? What is a biblical perspective of singleness? Is that all right? Yes? Good, okay. Um, so as I said, we're in 1 Corinthians. Actually, we'll need some Bibles. Mary, do you want to be a Bible monitor? If you need a Bible this morning, why don't you just stick your hand up? Mary will bring you a Bible. It'll also come on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're very, very welcome to keep this um, as a gift from us. You can take this home with you. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. So we're going to start 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, and then we're going to jump to a little bit further in the chapter. But it will, as I said, be on the screen. So let's have a look. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 7. Paul, who is a single man, is writing this, and he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than burn with passion. I'm going to jump to verse 32. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, before we really get going, just want to say, let's clear up what I'm intending. When I talk about um, single people, who is it that I'm referring to? This morning I'm referring to people who are not married and I'm referring to people who are not in the dating relationship. You know, in the, in the world's eyes, being single doesn't necessarily mean you're on your own because people have these kind of casual relationships and one night stands and such. But I'm talking this morning about single Christians who I'm assuming are chasing purity, are, uh, are choosing, yeah, choosing purity and are therefore celibate. Okay, I'm not talking about people who have casual relationships here. So that's who I mean when I talk about single people in the context of this morning. So some of the challenges, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just some of the things that I have come across uh, from experience and talking to other people. Challenges of being single as a Christian uh, in no particular order. Holidays. Who do you go on holiday with when you are single. It might be that you're fortunate enough to have a bunch of single friends who are the same kind of age as you and you all go away together. Well done. That's great if you have that. Some people find that they don't have that. They don't have other people who are um, single uh, that are in their friendship group and they go on holiday with their partners or their families and so many single people struggle thinking well I really want to go on holiday and I don't really want to go on my own but what do I do about that? So that can be a challenge for some people. When you're ill, who looks after you? Who looks after you if you're single, particularly if you live on your own? You know, who knows what's going on when you don't show up at work? 
You know, it might be that you have house housemates to look after you, and that's really good if you do. Or you might have kind of housemate relationship where you don't really interact on that level. And so you might also be ill and very much on your own. I was really lucky. About 18 months ago, I got the flu, and I was so blessed that people came round that knew I was unwell, came round, changed my bed sheets for me, brought me meals, did a food shop for me, stuff like that. It was so, so helpful for me because otherwise I just would have been on my own in my house uh, for days, just not being able to do anything. So being ill can be hard when you're on your own. Making big decisions on your own can be stressful. You know, buying a house, big expenditures of money, um, job changes, stuff like that. And, you know, the hope is that we all have good friendships and people we can chat these things through with. But for some people who are single, they maybe don't have that or they feel like they don't want to burden people with those things. And so they struggle with it alone. For me, and this may not be for everybody, but for me, I used to feel like... When you're a single woman, nobody wants to touch you. No one gives you hugs. There's no one there to show you any affection. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about just touch an arm around you. People are like, oh, that's inappropriate. Let's not touch her. Let's not hug her. So whoever hugs me, my mum and dad, and when do I see them? Very rarely. Some people can struggle with that, a lack of affection or touch. Loneliness, hopefully within the church. People don't feel lonely. The church is meant to be the answer to loneliness. But for some people, church as a single person can be really hard. And um, I remember when I, for a short time, I lived in England uh, a couple of years ago, and I went to this church. And, I, and for a long time, I'm going to admit something to you that's quite bad. Please don't do this. I would deliberately turn up late to church. I would turn up like two, three minutes into the service when I knew that the first song would be on deliberately so I didn't have to make small talk before the service so that I would be ushered to a seat and I could just get on with the service and it bought me the time. It bought me the service to look around and go, right, who will I talk to afterwards? Oh, I know him. I'll talk to him. And yeah, I know her. And I might be forced to talk to this person next to me, but that's, that's fine. I used to do that on purpose because I was so intimidated by walking into the building on my own. That's sad, isn't it? There's also the challenge of the fact that it feels like, it can feel like society is built for family, it's built for couples. You know, food in the supermarket comes in multi-packs, it comes in family size. So when you're buying for one person, you know, that can be really frustrating. You have to buy in bulk and cook in bulk and freeze things. You don't always want to do that unless you're buying a ready meal left for one. You know, you pay extra in a hotel for a single room with one bed in it as if you're being penalized for being on your own. That isn't fair. And sometimes being single can just do funny things to your identity, you know, um, particularly in church culture where it can be really, really normal for Christians to get married age 20, 21. If that doesn't happen to you, you can just end up feeling a bit like there's something wrong with you, like you're not normal, like they've all done this and why haven't I? Why hasn't it happened to me? Am I left behind? Am I abnormal? Has God forgotten me? can do funny things to your identity. So that's just a few of the challenges. There's probably more. Uh, and a couple of misconceptions that I personally would like to clear up as well. Misconception number one, if you are single, you are rich. For some people, okay, this, this is, for some people, they may be quite well off financially. They might be doing all right for themselves, okay? So for some people, they're all right. But I want to say it's not true for everybody, especially, again, if you live on your own. Research says uh, that over the course of a lifetime, if you live on your own, it will cost you £250,000 more over a course of a lifetime than if you shared that 
with a partner. You know, utility bills do not just cost half of what it would cost for two people. It's expensive to live alone. So when you are on your own, you are footing all the bills and everything yourself. You are not necessarily rich. That is not always true. Second misconception, that if you are single, you have got loads of free time. I want to say that that might be true for some people, but there's this stereotype, you know, that if you're single, you just stay at home every night, watch TV and eat pizza. That is not my experience. That is not the experience of many of my single friends because the truth is many people just throw themselves into other stuff they might throw themselves into their work or just have lots of different hobbies and interests and keep themselves busy and sociable you know with other stuff so it doesn't mean that you have loads of free time just because you're single and it most certainly doesn't mean that you are a lazy layabout okay funnily enough since I've been with Dave I've probably spent more time watching telly and eating pizza than I did before but maybe that says something about us I don't know these things, the challenges, the misconceptions, as I said, they're not necessarily true for everybody. They're not. But it is important that we mention them. You know, we are church. We're meant to be a family. We are full of people of different ages and different stages. And so I want to say this morning, if you're here and you are married, please don't switch off and think that this talk is not for you. You know, we have, as married people, an opportunity to relate to, to serve and support people in our church community who are single and to spur them on in pursuing God and all that God has for them as a single person. Being single does not mean being alone and family is not just for families. And also, this talk is not a let's feel sorry for all the poor, poor single people either. Please don't hear that in what I'm saying. This is about understanding and building um, a loving, supportive family. Okay, let's look at the Word of God. What does Paul have to say about singleness? Four things I want to look at. Number one, accepting the gift. I remember a particular Christmas at my grandparents when my younger brother was about four and he got given by my nan and grand he got this lovely gift that was quite large you know so as a four-year-old you're like your eyeballs are automatically wide open and he sat there with this big grin on his face so sweet just tearing the paper so um, just slowly bit by bit just really enjoying the process of unwrapping his gift and when he opened it it was a digger it was a jcb digger thing i don't know what they are really called but one of them you know it was yellow and had a scoop thing one of them and his eyes his face lit up this gift that he'd been given he absolutely was mesmerized by it and then my nan broke the moment by saying what she thought was funny oh there's been a mistake that's not for you that's for uncle johnny and my little brother's face just fell and bless him he just picked it up and he and he kind of carried this jcb really close to him and wandered over and said to uncle johnny this is for you and walked back and sat down in the corner and just went a bit quiet and the whole room went quiet. And as my nan realized that what she'd done wasn't really very funny and her humor had been lost on a four-year-old, she had to just sort this little problem out. So she went and she took the digger and she gave it back to him and she said, I was only joking. This is your gift. It's for you. And gave it back to him. When Paul says in verse 7, each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. He is talking about singleness and he is talking about marriage. He says singleness is a gift. You know, my brother actually wanted to get his gift back because he did want that gift. But some of us this morning, we're single people and we do not want 
the gift of singleness. Perhaps we've tried to get rid of it, we've tried to give it away, and we've been in relationships that haven't worked out, and that gift of singleness seems to be kept giving, uh, being given back to you. And you're like, Lord, I don't really want this gift. Have you got the receipt, please? Can I return it? Some of us don't want the gift of singleness. I think there's a misunderstanding, actually. Certainly for me, for a long time, I think I misunderstood this gift of singleness. No single person really likes to hear this. Oh, it's a gift. I used to think, well, I want to be married, so I don't have the gift of singleness. Like, if you have the gift of singleness, you know about it. But I want to be married, so I obviously don't have that. And actually, I think that's wrong. When we look at this scripture, Paul says, each of us has a gift. If we're married, it's a gift. If we're single, it's a gift. It may not be forever, but it is a gift. It may not feel like a gift because we didn't ask for it. And we don't want it, some of us. But the truth is, it's in there in scriptures. Singleness is a gift. So if you are single right now, God has you in the best place. Matthew 7:11 says, "Our Father in heaven gives good gifts. He gives good gifts, and we have to trust that he knows best." There's um, some unhelpful things that people say sometimes to single people, and they don't mean to be unhelpful, but let me just say a few of them now. When people say to you, you know, well, you need to learn to be content. You need to learn to be satisfied in your singleness. That's when God will bless you with a partner. That is not true. We don't earn marriage. We don't earn God's blessings. God doesn't work like that. Or when people say, you know, before you marry someone wonderful, you need to become someone wonderful. God's got some work to do on you before you are ready for marriage. No, that is not true either, because marriage is not like some reward that is given to the most holy people. Well done, you've sorted yourself out here. Have a life partner. Because married people are not the finished article either. We're all broken people. There is no formula, you know, you need to do this, this, and this, and then God will give you a husband or a wife. It is down to God. It is God who dishes out the gifts, whether it's the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness, and he only knows how to give good gifts. He knows nothing else, therefore singleness is a good gift. I read something by a writer called Paige Benton, and she said this. She said, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. But I want to be married, and I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date, and I may die an old maid at 93 because God is so good to me. Paul is really clear here that whatever our marital status is, it's a gift. Accepting singleness as a good gift is not just a truth that single people that, that we need to hear, but it's a truth that all of us need to learn. You know, if we're married, actually, you know what? We need to check our assumptions. We need to check that we don't unintentionally, you know, subconsciously view single people as second class or missing out or somehow not quite made it or not a proper adult yet. 
you know, and, and sometimes, you know, our love for our single friends is just, you know, we just want to see you happy. We want to see you settled down and finding love. And that's good. That's not a wrong thing to want for your friends at all. But you just need to watch out. We need to watch out that we don't actually have a deeper belief that you cannot be happy or complete on your own. Do you know, I used to pray prayers kind of to this effect. Lord, I do love you. I do trust you. But could you just let me know whether or not this is ever going to happen? I don't need to know who and I don't need to know when. But if you could just let me know that one day I'll get married, then I'll let go of this and I'll trust you a bit more. I, honestly, I used to pray stuff like that. And of course, it doesn't work that way, does it? And for years and years and years for me, there was no one. And I know people who have walked away from God because of this issue, because God has not given them what they consider to be the best gift. But our prayer needs to be, you know, today, Lord, I'm single. Today, I'm single. And today, this is your gift to me. I don't know how long I'll have this gift. It might be for a season. It might be forever. But right now, it's your very best for me. And I choose to trust that you know best and you know what you're doing. So, marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift and they are both good gifts. There is not one gift that is better than the other. Paul says they are both good gifts. Okay, number two, reclaiming our identity. So Paul is really clear he says marriage is good and he says being unmarried is good and actually his bias is more towards being unmarried but you know what the very fact that he even addressed singleness was totally totally revolutionary to the first people that heard that because Jewish culture was all about legacy it was all about inheritance your children carried your name your children carried your reputation you needed your children to look after you in old age Single people were utterly looked down upon. You know, you had nothing to offer society if you had no family. That's why barren women were considered outcasts, you know, because they were useless to the community. That was the view of singleness. It was a bad thing. And then along came Jesus, and that started to change. Not only was Jesus a single man himself, but he came and he taught that our inheritance was not about our bloodline, but our inheritance was in heaven. He taught that we belong to the family of God through spiritual rebirth. And then after Jesus came Paul, again, another single person, and he taught the church what it means to love and care for each other as if we were a family, so that it's not just your actual children that care for you. And on top of that, Paul tells us right here that being single is actually a good thing. So it's interesting then, isn't it? It's turned upside down from the Old Testament view of um, you know, the old Jewish culture about, about um, you know, singleness being wrong, being bad, you know, being a punishment even, some people would see it as. Jesus came and turned that completely upside down. And so it's interesting to me then how we almost have somehow turned it back as a church to the old way of thinking. It's interesting that many of us seem to see marriage as being better than being single, especially within the church, I think. Why? I think the church has stitched themselves up a little bit with this. Because 
In the wider society, marriage doesn't seem to be held in high esteem. And so as a church, we want to say, we love marriage. And so we celebrate when people get married. We want to champion marriage. We want to support people who are married because marriage is precious and beautiful representation of the relationship between God and the church. And marriage is good. So it seems like as the church, we bang on about marriage a lot. And unintentionally, that may then kind of present the idea that we think marriage is better than singleness. Unintentionally, we communicate that. And we've almost accidentally made it look like the old Jewish way of thinking, that singleness is second rate. But that is not what scripture says. I don't know about you, but I I think every time New Year's comes around, I make the same resolutions. Anyone else do that? Like every year, it's like the same things you say. Mine are normally do more exercise, cut out junk food, get up early every day and pray. That's the the kind of resolutions I make every year. And on the 31st of December, they seem very achievable. Probably, you know, I've eaten so much over Christmas, I'm desperate to start eating some salad and doing some exercise. But the truth is, my resolutions never, never really last. And, um, you know, in business and in the teaching world, they talk about smart targets. Anyone heard of smart targets? Smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, timed smart targets and where I fall down with my New Year's resolutions is that I set myself goals that I really cannot manage and the result is I feel like a failure. Biblically speaking, marriage is not a goal in life. Marriage is not a promise. Nowhere in scripture will you find God saying, you know, I promise you that you will find a life partner. And because so many people get married, if you're single, it's easy to feel like you've not made it, you know, or there's something wrong. And it may be that the majority of people do get married, but the truth is it is not a goal in life. We have to stop seeing it like that. Because if we see it like that, then it means that if we're single, we have failed. Sorry, I'm getting emotional now. It is not a goal, and single people have not failed. That is not what the Bible says, and we need to stop making an idol of marriage when it shouldn't be one. Marriage is a gift in the same way that singleness is. As a single person, you are already whole. You are already complete. You don't need another person to do that for you. Your identity as a Christian is in God. You know, way back in Genesis, it says, we were made in the image of God. Galatians 3.26, we are in Christ Jesus, we are children of God, and our mission is to be his representatives on earth, to be his disciples and to make more disciples, and so our identity starts with those things, you know, being made in the image of God and being children of God. Those two things never change, they are very much a permanent part of our identity. Our relationship status, however, may change. And so it's not good to build our ship upon that. We need to build our ship out of the concrete stuff. You know, it's, it's not wrong to want marriage. It's about how we see ourselves. So if our relationship status guides our identity, then our ship is going to lurch from side to side. It's going to lurch from side to side with insecurity, with um, worrying about the future, maybe being bitter about your singleness and it could be overwhelming. 
And so it might be a battle that we fight every day to keep our ships upright, but all of us need to be anchored in the truth that our identity is first and foremost as a child of God, not as a single person, not as a husband or a wife, not even as a parent or a non-parent. We were never meant to find our meaning in those things anyway. We were never meant for them to be the source of our contentment. We were made for God. So reclaim your identity. It's in God. Third, sorry, I'm going on a bit because this is important to me. (laughs) Third, devoting ourselves. Now, there's this funny section. um, I shouldn't say it's funny. It's the word of God. There's this section, uh, verse 32 and the verses that follow that, where Paul starts to say, basically, if you are unmarried, Uh, then you are devoted. Your concern is only for the Lord's matters, whereas if you're married, you have a divided concern and you're bothered about the worldly things such as how to please your spouse. And he says, I want you to live in a right way. If you're single, live with undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you're single, you can be more devoted to God and that can only be a good thing. Let me tell you, as a single person, I used to hate this. I used to hate this. You know, if you don't have a significant other, then, you know, you don't have the pull on your time or your emotions or your finances in the same way as those who are married. And although you will still have pulls on those things, they're not maybe quite the same. And it is true. As much as it bugged me and I thought it was just an annoying thing that married people would tell single people, it's actually in the Bible. It is in the Bible and it's true. You've got, as a single person, all this opportunity to serve God in a way that is so unique to single people. I'm sorry if that's an annoying thing to hear as a single person, but it is true. Second, Hazel's nan story of the day, bless her. She was a hoarder. She would have cupboards full of stuff that she just did not ever throw away. For example, she'd whip out a box of chocolates that were three years old and uh, you know, try and pass them around. And of course, everybody politely declined as we noticed the white crusty bits around the edge. You know, oh, it's all right, Nan, thanks, just wash them away. Uh, and then you know, one day, I remember going around to her house and she had this tiny flat with a tiny kitchen. Her worktop was about this long and there was a microwave on half of it. One day, I went round and next to the microwave, taking almost the rest of the space, was an enormous food processor. And I thought to myself, she doesn't really cook that much anymore. This seems quite surprising that she's gone and got herself this food processor. And so I just asked her about it. You know, that's nice, Nan. Where did, when did you get that? Have you been making stuff with it? And she just said, oh, it was a present. I don't use it. I'm a bit frightened of it. It's daft. Gifts are meant to be used. Gifts are given to be used. So when Paul uses this word gift, you know, singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift, the word in Greek is the word charisma, and that means a grace gift for the whole church. It's the same word that he actually uses when he talks about, uh, in chapter 12, about spiritual gifts. You know, some people have the gift of healing or the gift of prophecy. It's the same word he uses here when he talks about the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. It's a gift he's given us for us, but also for the rest of the church, you know, to bless other people. The church needs you, if you're single, the church needs you in your singleness right now to bless us, to serve us. And we want to learn from you. We want to be inspired by your undivided devotion. 
You have something to offer that's not just babysitting, but you have a role given to you by your Father in heaven. This gift that allows you undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single this morning, are you embracing that gift? Or are you abusing it? Are you giving your responsibility, your time, and your emotional capacity towards the things of God? Don't put life on hold. This is one thing that that really gets me going. When you hear people say, oh yeah, I I really know that God has called me to do this thing, but I don't want to do it on my own, so I'm just going to wait until I find a husband or a wife, and then we can do it together. Don't do that. What if you miss out? What if, dare I say it, you never marry, and then you miss out on this great adventure that God could have for you? You know, if God is calling you to something today, say yes to him today. He wants you as you are right now. You know, when I was contemplating taking this role as a pastor here at church, someone said to me, a friend, said, Hazel, I know that you want to get married one day, and I'm worried that if you take this job, you will never marry because you'll be too intimidating to people. And my first reaction, I was, I was quite hurt, if I'm honest. But I thought, no way. You know, I feel called to take this job. And I'm not going to let my desire to be married stop me from being obedient to God. I need to be obedient. And as much as it, was a, it stung what that person said, I thought, you know what? If I am ever going to get married, the right person will love me and they will love me for what I do and they will love the fact that I'm obedient to God. That same person also said to me, and you know, you won't ever be able to preach on marriage if you're not married. And I wish I knew this at the time, but I didn't. But I now know John Stott, who was a famous preacher, was single, died in his 90s as a single man. He said this once. He said, someone asked him the same question, you know, how can you ever preach on marriage if you've never been married? And he said, I preach on death all the time, but I've never experienced death. <laughs> but it doesn't disqualify me. And I love that. It's true. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God. Preachers don't know everything about everything. Dr. Helen Roosevelt, who is a missionary doctor in the Congo, she reflected that her singleness meant she could go and visit sick people straight away where other doctors might say, "Mm, I better not go there, I might pass something on to my children. I can think of numerous um, Christian teachers and theologians who were single. John Stott, I've already mentioned, Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor, St. Augustine, Corrie ten Boom, Mother Teresa, St. Francis of Assisi. Um, C.S. Lewis, he married in his late 50s and he'd already written most of his amazing literature before he got married. You know, God wants to use you now in your single state. You are not disqualified. You are not waiting uh, in the wings or on the reserves bench. Go now. The infinitely vast ocean that you see whilst on that ship reminds us of the infinitely vast God that we serve and the incredible opportunities we have before us. So don't waste this gift. Okay, my last point. Acknowledging pain. You know, it's true that... um, Different people feel differently about their singleness. You know, some people are okay with it. Some people really struggle with it. Even for the individual, it can change from day to day or even hour to hour how you feel about your singleness. Um, And, you know, actually, it can change over time, particularly as you get older. It can feel harder to be single for some people. 
some women in particular might find that harder, people telling you that your body clock is ticking and you better start popping some babies out. It's not uh, necessarily something that people say to you when you're 20 and single. What is important, however, if you find this a painful, uh, a painful issue, if you find it a painful place to be, being single, is that you bring that to God. You might have sat through everything I've said this morning as a single person and feel cross with me, you know, telling you to be grateful for this gift of singleness when you're really not. And, um, you know, hearing that it's good to be unmarried when you really don't feel that way about it and wishing that you did actually have the pulls and pressures of family life rather than having all this freedom and the ability to give undivided devotion. And you might feel cross when Paul says it's better to marry than burn with lust because you're thinking, well, who do I marry? It's all very well time you just, just get married. Well, who too? There's no one here. And if you feel those things, I want to tell you that I understand because I felt all of them. But we need to bring our pain to God. When I found being single very painful, I also found that there was quite a lot of guilt that went with that. You know, a sense of um, not being allowed to admit that you struggled with that. You know, that I was being ungrateful for my singleness, and that my discontent was really sinful. Um, I was afraid of being viewed as being desperate because nobody wants that label, do they? No one wants to be known as the desperate one. I have sat at weddings and cried, tears of happiness, and also just tears of pain and thinking, what if this is never me? What if my day never comes? I even once skipped going to a friend's wedding because I was in such a bad place about it. And I regret that now, but I'm just being honest with you. That's how hard it can be for some people. There's a, for some people, this is my experience. I don't want to tarnish everyone with the same brush. This is my experience and the people that I know who struggle with the same thing. There's a deep sense at times of grief for something that hasn't happened. You know, if you know a couple who are struggling to conceive a baby, we all empathize and we cry with them and we pray for them as they grieve for a child that they so long for. And I think it's a similar thing for single people as they, they may be grieving for a marriage that they haven't got at the moment or maybe never will have. And I think sometimes there can be a double grief for children that you may never have as well. And yet, with all of that, there's this shame that you could never admit that. You could never admit how deeply that affects you or how deeply that hurts you. And although, yes, I know I stand here today as a married woman, but I will never forget that pain. It was deep. We're not to feel guilty for desiring marriage, because marriage is good, and Paul says that as well. But we're not to get bitter about singleness, and I definitely have spent too much time probably in that camp. God is our Father, he gives us good gifts, and it is not wrong to ask for things, it is not wrong to ask for marriage. But with all of our prayer requests, we need to have this tag on the end that says, you know what, Lord, not my will, but yours, because I trust that you know best for me. Hebrews describes the uh, Christian life as a race. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Don't get robbed of running the race because it's painful. Tell God how you feel. 
when you're in pain on a race, you have options, right? Number one, you could take yourself out the race, move to the sidelines and wait for your partner before you start running again. But you don't know how long you're going to be sat out and at the end of the day, you're out of the race. You can keep running and you can ignore the pain, but ultimately that will end up in an injury. And at some point, you have to deal with that mess. It will need some attention. It will need some healing. Or you can run in constant communion with God. God, it's sore today. Lord, this hurts. I'm limping. You can tell him. And he will run with you. He will give you the healing balm. He will give you the encouragement to keep going. And know this, you are not running alone. You're in it with us, family, okay? We cheer each other on as a church family. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, and it's true. We all need relationships, not just romantic ones. We need each other. We need family. And you know what? We need people who are different to us. Paul was friends with a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. You know, if you are married, please invite single people around to your house. When I started going out with Dave, all of a sudden, my dinner invites went through the roof, and it hadn't been like that before. You know, if you're married, please don't be afraid to have single people around. I once heard a married couple saying that they, they weren't sure about inviting this particular person around because they were single and it might be awkward having three people around the table. And at the time, I was single and I heard that and I was gutted. No one wants to be the awkward single person. We just want friends. And single people, this, you know, we, we need to hear this as well. Please be friends with married people. Don't assume that because someone is married that they are not lonely or that they don't need more friends. Don't be afraid of married people. Make friends with them. We need to be friends with people who are not the same as us so that we can be uh, a representation of the family of God. At the end of the day, I'm sorry I've talked a bit long today. At the end of the day, Paul who wrote this scripture, he had a kingdom perspective. For him, it was all about keeping your eyes on the goal, God, and living for him. And that was his priority, way above his marital status. What mattered to him was living for God, living with God. And so this morning, perhaps, for some of us, maybe what we need to ask is for that kingdom perspective. Maybe this has been a really painful thing to listen to. Maybe it's not been painful, but it's been interesting. Whatever it is, whether you're married, whether you're single, what is your perspective? Are you kingdom-minded? Or have you found your identity in something else that you were never meant to find your identity in? Whether it's, I'm okay, I'm married, or whether it's, I'm really not okay because I'm not married. We need to be kingdom-minded, eyes on God. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray.